You're listening to the best morning routine ever podcast, the show that proves no one stumbles upon success ever. With your host, Lou Need. Every Mondays and Thursdays, we deliver cold heart evidence behind the power of a robust morning routine. Get ready to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Hello, morning enthusiasts. Welcome to the Best Morning Routine Ever podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lumid, and today I have the honor of introducing a very special guest to the show, Paul Austin. Now, this man has been featured in Forbes, Rolling Stone, BBC Work um, Life, Pioneer the Convergence of Psychedelics, Personal Transformation, and the Professional Success aspect of it. So, Paul is a prominent figure in psychedelics. He has guided millions to safe and meaningful psychedelic experiences through his work as the founder of Third Wave. I am super thrilled to have him. And just to kind of link the two, how can we use this powerful medicine to actually use it in the workplace, use it in our businesses, use it as an entrepreneur. So with no further ado, Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to, to be here. Morning routines and, and mornings are something that I, uh, I love. Most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> Most oh, yeah. of the time. <laughs> we'll find out about uh, how much of a morning person you are. But yeah. let's talk about your venture thus far. Like, how did you end up here being the youngest in this industry, leading millions of people? And why psychedelics? How did that even come out? Yeah. So at the age of 19, I had what ended up being a very transformative experience with psychedelics with LSD in particular which is a very potent psychedelic and something we that that's come sort of back in vogue lately as we've talked about microdosing LSD but i had okay. a high dose of LSD it was super transformative and it really set me down this path of you know at a young age i i really wanted to become an entrepreneur. I really wanted to, you know, be free to travel and explore when and how I wanted. I never enjoyed taking directions from people. I always had a bit of like a rebellious and independent streak. And so after those early psychedelic experiences, which were very helpful. They helped me to release a lot of guilt and shame from being raised in a very religious household. Uh, I grew up in a very, I would say, normative culture, conservative culture. And so psychedelics helped me to just pop out of that. And then at the age of 24, I was living in Budapest, um, Mm -hmm. of all places. And was just talking about the future of psychedelics, how this is really emerging. More famous podcasters are talking about it. There's more research coming out. And, you know, I have a background of education and teaching. And so I'm like, I really just want to teach people about the pros and the cons. Here are some of the benefits. Here are some of the risks because I felt like psychedelics had been super misunderstood and widely stigmatized. And when I actually looked Mm -hmm. at the science and the research and the data, to me, it didn't make sense as to why. So that was my mission. It was like help to destigmatize psychedelics, educate people about how they use them. And then through that path, you know, third wave has reached millions of people. I host my own podcast as part of that. I've started a retreat center where we've done high dose psilocybin for over a thousand people. I now train coaches and practitioners. So executive coaches, performance coaches, health and wellness coaches. I train them in how to work with psychedelics because I see psychedelics when used in a safe setting, when used with intention, when used with responsibilities, they can be incredibly impactful You know, for depression, for PTSD, for addiction, but even most more importantly, for leadership, for relationships, for your overall health and well-being. I think they're just really fundamental tools for everyone to have mm-hmm. in their toolkit. Yeah, absolutely. And so how long have you been doing this? 
So professionally, I've been involved in the psychedelic space for eight years since 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I've been taking psychedelics for about 14 years. I've been working yeah. with them in some intentional and responsible way. I mostly microdose now. Um but I also, from time to time, work with with higher doses. I've sat in many ayahuasca ceremonies. I've smoked Bufo, which is 5-MeO-DMT, toad venom. I've worked with Wachuma, which is San Pedro, a cactus from Peru, and then LSD, psilocybin, MDMA, ketamine, 2CB. You know, I've smoked DMT, regular DMT, where you see aliens and fractals and elves. <laughs> so I, I definitely have like gone on that journey. But I'm really someone who appreciate as an entrepreneur, I appreciate practicality, I appreciate productivity, I appreciate creating in the world. Yeah. And so while I am I am a fan of some of the more esoteric and spiritual aspect of psychedelics, I really believe in their their sort of practical applications and how they can help us just to live better lives. Yeah. It's amazing how we've come a long way. It's come a long way. I mean, now we can freely talk about it. It's um, open. There's a conversation, as you said, the third wave, where there is a conversation to be had. And it's not just the tripping. It's not just uh, having those higher doses and you can't function um, for the rest of the day type of thing, but more of the, um, as you said, the microdose. It's come a long way because it's not stigmatized anymore. It's not taboo anymore. And now it's actually in research being used um, for mental health as part of a mental therapeutic session to get people to go in and do some of the deep mental work. PTSD is a big one. And right. coming out of that, that would have taken years with just t- traditional therapy. So let's talk about the medicine and how powerful it is impacting mental health in this day and age. Yeah. So what a lot of folks don't know is that there were over a thousand clinical papers published on psychedelics in the 1950s mm-hmm. and 1960s. So we already had like a reasonable foundation for how these could be clinically effective. But of course, in the last 50, 60 years, we've also updated a lot of our research methods, you know, what makes for gold standard science, et cetera, et cetera. So in 2006, about, you know, 17, 18 years ago now, there was a paper published about the efficacy of psilocybin to facilitate what's called a mystical experience, which is a connection Mm -hmm. to God, source, oneness, divinity. And they scientifically proved that essentially psychedelics could help you to have this spiritual experience. And that more importantly, that there were a number of downstream benefits from having that experience. People felt like, uh, you know, life was more meaningful. They felt a, a closer relationship to the natural environment. They felt like, Things that had happened in their past, traumas yeah. that had occurred to them were able yeah. to be healed and forgiven. And so a lot of the foundational research in psychedelics is pointing to that when we have this really um, beautiful, profound experience, it does, it revitalizes us. It helps us mm-hmm. to change our behaviors. It helps us to treat people differently. Like there are fundamental um, traits that actually change as a result of working with psychedelics. And as part of this research, uh, there's some really fantastic research that's being done on MDMA specifically for PTSD. Mm-hmm. And so next year in 2024, the it is expected that the FDA will approve MDMA as a regulated treatment for t- PTSD. So starting next year, if you have PTSD, you'll be able to go into a clinic 
to sit there with a psychiatrist or a therapist. They will give you MDMA. And this will happen three times over 12 weeks. And there will be preparation support, therapeutic support before and after. And in those phase three clinical trials, the results are outstanding. 70% of people, 70% of people uh, were healed from their PTSD for as long as a year after their PTSD. Whereas yeah. traditional treatments with most most commonly it's antidepressants, antipsychotics, and uh, benzodiazepines, typical treatments are about, they work 20% of the time. So MDMA is looking time. to be, correct, yeah. MDMA is looking to be three times as effective as traditional treatments for PTSD. Now, what's really interesting about this is I was just watching a Fox News clip earlier today, and I don't ever watch Fox News. I'm not that that interested in Fox News, but I was watching a clip and they were talking about how Republicans, conservatives are even supporting psychedelics because it's helping veterans. You know, there's over 22 <laughs> veterans, 22 veterans, I think, commit suicide every single day. We are in a mental health crisis specifically for right. veterans. And so there are a lot of people who you wouldn't otherwise normally think they'd be interested in psychedelics who are supporting this because of its efficacy as a mental health treatment. So I think that's really important to notice that yeah. this isn't just, this isn't a political thing. This isn't a liberal thing that this is a bipartisan efficacious treatment that mm -hmm. when used in a safe and therapeutic setting can have outstanding results for those who are working with it. Yeah. It is essentially it re wires your neural path, it rewires your brain. Um, those connections that were missing, it starts firing back. It really is on a cellular level that these changes are taking place and that they're long-term. Well, and they've shown that, right? Like what's really interesting about this MDMA for PTSD study is people with PTSD on average, their telomere length, which is linked to longevity is much shorter, right? So on average, people who have PTSD or complex PTSD, they live 17 years less than those who don't on average. Um, and that's not only because of suicide, but also because, uh, you know, there's overwhelming stress that is constantly permeating the body, which sends the autonomic nervous system into yeah. a sympathetic state, fight or flight all the time, right? And so that stress really takes its toll. What they show with MDMA therapy is when someone, after they went through MDMA therapy, their telomere length, their telomeres increased in length. Like they were able to show this with clinical research, showing that MDMA, when used with PTSD, can help dramatically extend the lifespan of someone who otherwise, you know, would 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 maybe die at a much younger age. Yeah, and it's happening for PTSD. There's a lot of different um, mental health issues that it's combating, but also cancer camp patients too. But we we recent studies that it's helping cancer patients. <laughs> Well, it's, and it's end of life anxiety, right? So it's like when yeah. people, especially if they get a terminal diagnosis, right? It's like there's all of this anxiety and depression that comes up. Like, fuck, I'm gonna die, you know? Like, mm. and there's a lot of sadness and there's a lot of grief that needs to come up, um, and that can actually dramatically reduce the end of life. If someone only has six months to live and they spend that entire time anxious and depressed and worried, like that's that's no way to go out. And so one of the things that psychedelics helps us helps a lot of people to realize is that death is just another transition, right? Mm -hmm. And we have such an issue with dying in, 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 especially America and Western culture. It's like death is another transition. There is something that exists beyond us. We quite, can't yeah. quite put our, we can't quite describe it, but when you have a high dose of psilocybin, you experience <laughs> it. 
Yeah. Right? You experience it in that it, then it experienced then all of a sudden people can let go of the anxiety and depression because they can go, oh, like this is the end of me in this form, but it's not the end of life and consciousness. Like it will go right. on and there will be other ways in which it exists. Yeah, that, that energy, because we are energy and a bundle of energy that, that does, it's transferable, right? It, it lives on, it never exactly. dies. And so it's interesting hearing that from you having brought up in a more rigid traditional religion background because you said when you started off you said you had to rid yourself of guilt and shame and it's crazy because that's what the thought i'm pondering myself is how how religion it does that so well and just make you feel not enough every weekend and expect you to go out and be christ-like and so just from you i want to hear your, what that transition was like for you to become to this liberating place yeah that's a great question so like, you know, I went to church every Sunday for 18 years of my life, basically. And, 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 you know, three to four hours every Sunday, we'd have the main service, we'd have the service that was after the main service, what we called second hour. And then there was often youth group where I would go back to the church in the evening. And then there was a vacation Bible school in the summers. There were, I did multiple mission trips for not like the Mormons, but just for like a week or two. So it was not fundamentalist, like good, loving church environment, people who meant well, people who enjoyed and loved the community, but it never felt really alive and vital. Like it just felt like we said these prayers or sang these songs or did these things, but I never really got why. I never really got mm-hmm. why we we were doing them. And you know, what I was told is you have to be a good Christian, you don't want to sin, you have prayers, you ask for forgiveness, you know. And so it ends up conditioning you to believe that there is such a thing as heaven and hell, that if you if you act a certain way, you'll be more heavenly. And then if you act this way, you'll be more like this. And as a kid, I was, you know, I was rebellious. I didn't really like listening to directions. I, I mean, I I I got good grades and I I, you know, I played violin and I I played soccer and I was, but I also, I was sometimes difficult, irascible, you know, not always obedient, if you will. And so there was an internal tension that developed. Like I always felt a little ashamed of myself. And, Mm -hmm. And so when I started to work with psychedelics, they helped me to realize that I was just born in sort of the wrong physical place that had I been born in a place like New York or, you know, Europe, that the culture would have been much more conducive to my way of being, but that because I was born where I was, it just wasn't the right place. And so I was able to let go of a lot of that conditioning that I had taken on being born in that specific location, which created a lot of freedom. And in that freedom, you know, because around the age of 18, 19, I... I started to become more of an atheist. I was like, there is no God. I don't believe in God. Like all of this is bullshit. Let's look at the science. And then I started doing psychedelics a lot. When you do enough psychedelics and you have enough profound experiences with psychedelics, you come to realize that there's more than meets the eye. There's more than just Mm -hmm. this reductionist science only framework. There is this sort of energetic frequency that permeates the universe, that there are states of being that are more heavenly and states of being that are more hellish. And so I started to understand, oh, this is, I started to understand more of the why behind religion and Christianity and, and many other world religions. Now, I'm still not a religious person necessarily. I'm not dogmatic necessarily about my beliefs. I don't go to a place of worship every week at this point in time. But do I have spiritual practices? Do I have this sort of relationship to something greater? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm just, I think religion in and of itself is a little too groupthink. I think 
there's something to be said about being a very independent thinker, but I also know and recognize that it's hard to crew. Like there's this sort of tension between community and belonging and togetherness with being a critical thinker, independent, a skeptic. Right. And so I think I'm still learning how do I balance those two aspects of myself, the one that wants to belong, but also the the part that wants to, you know, be a pioneer and be different from everyone else. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That does shed some in, some insight to how to rid yourself of any of that that shame or that confinement, um, if it make us seem that way for the individual. And so exactly. I want to tap into and, and I know your morning routine plays a big role in that aspect of you believing in something bigger and knowing that there's another um there's another thing out there that you know guides you but i want to talk about how psychedelics because in the business aspect of it as entrepreneurs we want to know how can we maximize our potential right how do we unleash their selves and this transformational power so that we show up for our businesses better because I like the twist. I'm using this on a professional level because microdosing, let's talk about that. And that's that's the, the buzzword nowadays. Let's talk about how microdosing can actually help you unleash your power. Yeah, it's a great question. And such a big question. I think when I often hear about this, I, I, focus, on, I focus on a couple of things. One is behavioral change, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that psychedelics uh, help to produce something called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is a precursor to neuroplasticity. And so like you mentioned earlier, when we take psychedelics, what happens is neuronal connections that have been shut down for a long time, they haven't been that active, all of a sudden come back online. They're reactivated, right? And so there's this process that happens called dendritic sprouting. Uh, And when we have those reactivations of neuronal pathways, we learn quicker, we learn easier, we're more playful, right? And so that matters a lot from a professional lens or even as an entrepreneur, because you always have to be constantly learning and adapting to what is, right? If you're responding to something that happened, you know, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, it's like, there's no time for that. You always have to be present with what is adapting, growing and learning from the present moment in order to know how to, how to sort of iterate and grow from there. So I think that first element to focus on is adaptability and resilience, right? Because psychedelics help us so much with behavioral change, they help us to adapt to new circumstances and be resilient Mm -hmm. to difficult circumstances, which creates a level of equanimity for us as we move about our everyday life. I think the second element to focus on is creativity, right? That when we use psychedelics with intention and responsibility, they help us to think outside the box. They help us to think in novel ways and novel solutions. So if someone is stuck in a problem, if they're an engineer, if they're a product manager, if they're a coder, if they're a creator, a designer, a marketer, a writer, and they just feel stuck, they feel like, you know, this is something I can't quite bump through. For me, my go-to solution is I take a low dose of psychedelics and I go on a walk or a hike for like an hour or two. And I just sort of think about it, right? We, we've A lot of us have heard the classic adage of like Steve Jobs would go for lots of walks, right? A lot of people will go for a lot walks because it gets them stimulating. I say go for walks, but do it on acid, right? That's sort of my <laughs> secret sauce is that really helps to stimulate the creativity and the brainstorming. And, and it also provides a lot of energy. So I think the second thing is creativity. I think the third thing, and this this helps everything come together is alignment, right? We really have to be pursuing a mission or a purpose that we feel aligned with, that we care about, that we're willing to make sacrifices for, that we're willing to do irrespective of how well it pays us, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think 
oftentimes when people work with psychedelics, they come out of those experiences wanting to climb the second mountain, right? The first mountain is status, ego, success, sort of external validation. The second mountain is really that sense of uh, fulfillment, meaning, impact, community, togetherness, and picking a purpose, picking a mission that we feel like this is going to help a lot of people. And it's something I could work on for the rest of my life. Right. Because when we have that alignment, then all of a sudden, when things get difficult, we're way more resilient. Mm -hmm. Right. And all of a sudden, when we're more resilient, we have more time to learn how to adapt. We have more time to learn how to come up with novel and new solutions to address the sort of problem or thing that we're facing. And so that is why I think psychedelics can help us so much because they help with that process of adaptability, creativity, and alignment, most importantly. That's great. The alignment piece of it, and and it can really resonate. I mean, finding your purpose and living in your purpose. I, I like that. That's the third step because you have to do the the first two to get there. The creativity has to kick in. Um, but you also think you got to get rid of all the gunk first. You got to get rid, get that. You can't be blocked. You know, you can't be... Um, this all these ants, automatic negative thoughts just kind of just flooding you all the time. Then you really can't open up the channels um, you really can't be in that receptive mode. Um, a lot of the time, that's what it comes it, it comes down to is being in that receiving mode, having the the channels clear um, oh, to receive your creativity and the flow. I love that you go on a walk to to get the creativity supercharged. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> get it flowing, but it's in alignment with finding your purpose. And when you're doing what you love, it doesn't feel like work. Okay. It does, you're just kind of in the zone. Um, so I really like that. Let's talk about um, how you incorporate all this into your morning routine. How does your morning yes. routine help you? Be this is my favorite part. part. I love, I don't think <laughs> I, I rarely get to talk about my morning routines on podcasts and <laughs> I've made some, I've been a, like, you know, since I was 22, really ever since I started to get into psychedelics, I've paid a lot of attention to, to a morning routine, right? Like for me, meditation has always been consistent for the last 14 years. Yeah, It's something I do consistently. Interestingly enough, the last week or so, I haven't been as good about it. And I notice that when I don't meditate as often, I notice that I'm a little bit more stressed that, yeah. you know, like I, I, like that to me, it's always my foundational keystone habit is meditation. Mm-hmm. Recently, what I've gotten into is tea. So I've been a big coffee drinker for a long time. I love good coffee, but I've recently got into more the the sort of ceremony or ritual of tea. So I have some nice pours and oolongs. Pours are usually mm-hmm. my my everyday one. And you know, I have like a little tea table and uh like a little chest that has all my teas and then the nice uh tea kettle and I usually have a morning routine where I'll have tea. Uh I will read. Currently I'm reading Ezra Pound's biography. Ezra Pound was a poet uh, from the early 20th century. He was the one who made James Joyce, Ernest Hemingway, and T.S. Eliot who they were. I think all three have won Nobel Prizes. Ernest Hemingway, most people recognize, but T.S. Eliot was a famous poet and uh, won the Nobel Prize in 1948. And uh, James Joyce wrote Ulysses and uh, Finnegan's Wake and a couple of others, and I think also won the Nobel Prize. So three of the best writers of the 20th century. Ezra Pound mentored them, but he was also batshit crazy, uh, moved to Italy during World War II and supported the fascist government and was in a psychiatric hospital for 12 years. So I like reading interesting, interesting things. I have another book that I recently read, which was Elon Musk's biography, 
I've been on a biography kick as of late, but having books to dive into, something to read, usually nonfiction in the morning, I really love. And then I have, I usually spend some time journaling. Um, it's typically stream of consciousness, just sort of top of mind, get my thoughts organized for the day, just get mm-hmm. things stimulating and flowing. And then after that, I'll usually, you know, open the computer and, and start my day. But that, that really is the, the, the main tenets, you know, yeah. meditation, tea, reading Book. and journaling. I sometimes go for walks. I definitely try to get sunlight. And then first thing when I wake up, I drink lemon water. It's a recent mm-hmm. thing I'm trying out. Um, that gets me set and structured for the day. And it's something I generally do no matter no matter where I am. The tea is a little off sometimes if I'm not at home, but no matter where I am, it's always meditation, caffeine, uh, reading and journaling has been my consistent go-to for the last basically 14 years. That's amazing. So you have your non-negotiables and no matter where you are, those have to be done. And if you notice, I know you said meditation has been a little off this week. What happens if you fall off that wagon for too long? Well, it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy where when you don't meditate, you get in a little bit more of a funkier mood. And then it's like that funkier mood means I just don't take as good of care of myself. I'm not as attentive to what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just don't meditate as much. So the the way I try to balance that is like after this call, I'm going to go to the beach and go swimming and boogie boarding and try to get still at least some time. That's no screen. That's no people. That's just like quiet, chill time. Because if I don't, I'm just... Yeah, I'm just I'm not as well able to focus and my mood isn't as good. I'm a little bit more sort of like more rumination, a little bit more depressed. So the meditation just helps me to stay pretty even. And then and then if that goes on long enough, I will start microdosing to help with that process as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really phenomenal to hear because that helps to know that if you fall off the wagon, hey, you can jump back up and kind of get yourself organized because you really you do it for you you put yourself first so you can show up to the rest of the team for your team for your family so you can be a better person so thank you for sharing paul it's been an honor having you on the show thank you again for taking the time thank you so much for having me on this is a blast yeah it's been great well all right morning enthusiasts that's it for today's show thank you for tuning in if you love the best morning routine ever podcast we'd love to hear from you so go ahead and subscribe rate and give a review on itunes or google play While you're at it, tell a friend about the show. Be sure to visit bestmorningroutineever.com and our Facebook group to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic free bonus content. Until next time.